we are still introducing it. Last week we talked about Timothy, gave a little bit of background on Timothy. Today I want to go over and look at uh, chapter 18 and 19 of Acts. Because this is where Paul arrives in Ephesus for the first time, has an interaction with him. He's going to go away on his second missionary trip and come back and be there for three years on his uh, third missionary trip. And then we also know that Timothy's there, been put there for the book of 1 Timothy, and he's given an assignment to deal with false teaching. And then interestingly, in Revelation, uh, Jesus, through John, writes another letter to the church of Ephesus. Now, one thing to look at this uh, this chapter 18 of Acts, Paul is going to have an encounter with the Ephesians, the city of Ephesus, in 52 A.D. Then again, he's going to come back in 53 and be there until 55 A.D. Uh, the letter of 1 Timothy most likely is 62 A.D. So sometimes when we look at uh, the New Testament, we, we think about the early part of the New Testament. By the time you get to Paul putting Timothy here at Ephesus, it's been many years and the church is highly developed. Uh, here you can see right here, it's 52 to 62. This is just the groundwork. Paul's not going to stay very long. There's a, a few weeks. A, it's going to be mainly Aquila and Priscilla, followed by Apollos. Uh, but by 62 AD, Paul's already been in prison for two years in Caesarea Philippi, three years in Rome. So he's been gone for five years. He's written the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, sometimes say... Uh, it'd probably be 60 A.D., so the letter of the Ephesians is just a few months old, or they just received it. So it's really not that much time to think, well, this is a, an old, established church. Uh, and again, you're going to have to kind of think about that as, as we read through First Timothy, because I think if you look at it as an old, established church, uh, or a church that's ready to have some structure, some people read, uh, because First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are called the pastoral epistles, and they're like giving instructions on how to establish a church and how to appoint elders and, and get the church structure set up. It's not so much evangelism as much as it is church structure. But if you look at this time frame, uh, it's still, especially with Paul just coming and going uh, and Aquila and Priscilla being there teaching, there is a church, but once again, don't think building. You're, you've got to, throughout these three letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, You've got to think houses. You've got to think homes. You've got to think people are meeting in someone's house, and there's going to be several church houses where people are meeting because you know they can't get in all the same place. But they, de I mean, historically, they definitely are not building church buildings. They didn't even, they've never even seen it. Their close example would be a synagogue, but that's just going to complicate things as we look into this because you are in a pagan Gentile city, but there's a heavy jewish influence here they've got syn a synagogue there so that's a well-established and then you're going to come into this pagan culture that's heavily influenced by judaism that's got a gentile philosophy a jewish influence and then you're going to bring christianity this is going to set a stage for uh in a sense uh religious chaos and, and craziness as far as some people are going to join christianity and say ah, i like that part of you see it today I like that part. Jesus is going to forgive us of our sins. Great, I'll take that and I'll just stay right here in my culture. It's like, well, no, no, no. Jesus is calling you out of the cosmos, out of the pagan religion, into a relationship with him, which is more than just you're forgiven of your sins. You're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ through this process of maturing. This is going to have to be set aside. This, you've got the foundation of the Old Testament, but it's not going to have a legalistic element to it. It's not going to have a Jewish law to it. It's going to, that's foundational, but it's been built into. So you've got to let go of these things, and something brand new is being formed. 
And so in 62 AD, when Paul is sending Timothy there, the instruction, we'll try and read through a few of them, are telling him, you've got to teach people to stop teaching false doctrine. And then he starts going through and how, what a, an elder is and, and what a deacon is. And, and the problem is, and we just saw it in Jude, those people have secretly crept in among you and are, are, are te- they're, they're not like on the outside. Sometimes the opposition comes from the outside. In Jude and 1 Timothy, it's the people that are the leaders of the church, the deacons and the elders, are just, they haven't given up paganism or they're still got a Jewish background and they're now leading the church right back into paganism. And Paul says, no, we've got to establish people that understand uh, the Christian philosophy. And that's why uh, people like Erastus or Timothy, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, Paul would teach them and travel with them and they would actually be his representatives. So Paul has this, this branch of, of ministers that are working for him that they're overseeing and keeping things on track. And it's, it's got to do with evangelism, but it's also got to do with once you become a Christian, you've got to understand the Christian message, and you're not free to get creative with it. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to end up going to Acts today, but I do want to look at a few verses here. Uh, just in 1 Timothy, and if, uh, I'm reading in the NIV right now. In fact, I will be all day. I've got notes on the page. If I've got any kind of quotes on the page or the notes, it's English Standard Version, but I'm reading from the NIV. But this is Paul beginning the letter to first timothy and again this i think it's important that we understand who timothy is a little background uh, of the ministry that's taken place in ephesus and even seeing what ephesus is in the culture before we jump in and start teaching this letter otherwise you jump in and start teaching this letter as if it's ephesus 2024 and all these things you interpret it as if it's happening today and it's like you, you miss the whole historical context and that's where you do the same thing here you take the text of scripture and paganize it into America in 2024. And it's like, uh, that's not even who he's, he's not, again, be careful. He's not writing to us. He's writing to Timothy, who's going to be going into this culture in 62 AD and is addressing these problems. Well, so it's like, well, it's written to me. Well, you're going to learn from it. It's the living word of God, but it's not written by Paul to you. It's written by Paul to Timothy in this culture. So there's several steps uh, we should take before we just start making assumptions i think okay here we go chapter one paul an apostle of christ jesus by the command of god our savior and christ jesus our hope to timothy my true son in the faith grace mercy peace from god the father and christ jesus our lord now the question is going to come here is this a personal letter and indeed it is or is this a letter that's kind of a public letter written to timothy In other words, Paul, the apostle, is giving Timothy the authority to go into the churches that are already established in some sense with elders and deacons that are screwing the church up. And Paul's saying, no, Timothy, you need to go into those churches and evaluate the elders, evaluate the teachers, and move some of them out and bring in others. And others, you're going to have to correct them. And so when he starts doing that, who do you think you are, Timothy? Well, see my letter? I got a letter from Paul telling me that you need to go. You need to be corrected. Well, here it goes. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia. And so Paul is going into Macedonia. Has he been in Ephesus right here and left Timothy there? Or did he send Timothy to Ephesus? We'll look at that. But he himself is going into Macedonia. And again, he was in prison in Rome in 62 AD. He's just been released from prison. 
So we've got a, a couple questions. We're not exactly sure, but he's coming out of Rome. Timothy was with him while he was in the Roman imprisonment. Now this Roman imprisonment in 62 AD, 60 to 62 AD, was a house arrest. He was waiting for his trial date. So he was kept in an apartment, a rented apartment. There was Roman guards there. But if you read the end of Acts, there was Jews coming and going, visiting him. The church was providing for him. People were sending him gifts from Philippi uh, and, and Macedonia. Were sending, that's probably why he's going to Macedonia to visit the churches there. They'd been sending him rent money or you know, buy supplies. So he's not like strapped to a wall, being beaten all day long. He's actually under house arrest waiting for his court date in front of Nero, and he's already appeared before me uh, once, but his crime occurred in Jerusalem on the other side of the Mediterranean. So they, he, had, he appealed to Caesar, all Ro- and Paul's a Roman citizen. All Roman citizens, you can go through your local court date, your local trial, and if you don't like the decision or don't like the way it's going to go, it's like, hey, I appeal to Caesar. And they say, well, we've got to start all over again and go to Rome, where Paul they were trying to kill him. There's a plan to assassinate. It was, the, it was like the, the religious system, the Jews, the government, was conspiring against Paul to get him, you know, uh, uh, blackballed, assassinated, l- discredited. And so when they're, it's an unfair trial setting. So he says, forget it. I want to go to Caesar. And so he's going to Caesar. But guess who's got to go to Rome now to accuse him in front of Caesar? The Jews in Jerusalem. So it's assumed that Paul just outplays him. I want to go to Caesar. I'll see you there. And he goes to Rome and is under house arrest waiting for his accusers to show up for court. And the Jews are like, well, he's gone. And went about their business and no one really cared and no one fouled up. And so in 62 AD, it's like the case is thrown out. Now, in when, you write, when we read 2 Timothy, Paul is in a dungeon. And he says, my death is near. Uh, come quickly. And Paul is then going to be beheaded on the Appian Way outside of Rome. Uh, and there's, there's, I began some church history on that, and they, we kind of locate a tomb and different things. Someone buried him, but that's a completely Second Timothy. He's not under house arrest. He's in a dungeon, in in a in a very serious situation. Nonetheless, so Paul's just gotten out of prison. He goes into Macedonia. He says, as I urged when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. So you see that right there. His purpose for being left in Ephesus is the churches, just like we saw in Jude, the churches are spiraling out of control because you've got people that have become Christians out of the pagan religion, You've got people that are Christians coming out of the Jewish religions. They're combining in these local house churches and the leaders, the elders, the deacons, they're teaching, uh, but they're teaching a lot of it. You, know, you teach your convictions. And so it's like, yeah, you're not really teaching Christianity. You're mixing a blend together, which is eventually, this is, this is setting up our, our Monday night class very well because it's going to be talking about deception and heresies, uh, which we want to understand a little bit about the past. So we can analyze where we're at right now in deception and heresy. But it's kind of easy to understand why you come out of this and you've got to be an elder or leader. And how are you choosing your elders and leaders? Well, whose house is it? <laughs> well, it looks like the, you know, whoever's house it is or whoever who's the, the biggest player in the pagan world or the, who's got the most uh, training in the Jewish religion. It's like their qualifications for their leader is not necessarily Christian. And so Paul is being sent in as an apostolic representative. Paul is not being sent in as the pastor of Ephesus. He's not being sent in as any kind of an... He's one that's going to be just overseeing it, saying yes or no, and moving people out. So here, 
Yes, what did I say? Paul, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's not being, uh, neither one of them are the pastor. They're both, in a sense, an apostle. And Timothy's being sent in as an apostolic representative to oversee this church to make these corrections. Otherwise, this church is going to, it's going to sink. It's going to be, become paganized. And if you want an example, just think about churches that you would go to today that are legitimate churches that are teaching and other churches that have all the symbols and all the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the language, but it's like, that ain't Christian. That's, that's Western mythology or something. And uh, that's where these churches were heading. Nonetheless, he says, uh, I left you there in uh, Ephesus so that you may command certain men. And what certain men? These would be the elders in the church. These are not these are not pagan men in the temple of Artemis or men worshiping over in the temple of Caesar or something or something going on in the Jewish synagogue. These are men in the churches that are teaching false doctrine, not to teach, here it is, false doctrines any longer. And it goes on, it gives you a list. We'll go more through this later on. Nor to devote themselves to myths, that'd be made up stories. And that could be made up stories come out of paganism or made-up stories coming out of the Jewish religion. Now, the Jewish religion, we're going to see here today, is we think of Jews as Old Testament Bible-teaching Jews, but this had become a religious system in itself which picked up some magic. It had picked up some paganism. It had gone and read the scriptures in a very, uh, especially coming out of Alexandria, Egypt, instead of reading it like we might read it, historical documents, they're reading it trying to find the hidden meaning behind the story of David. Like when David killed Goliath, whoa, what's really happening here? And then they go behind the story and they start finding myths and legends and all this stuff to support whatever they want to teach. Now once you go into symbolism and, and the mystery religions, you can whatever you want to teach, you can find support for it. You just twist the scripture wherever you want to. And that's what's happening here. It's <coughs> coming from the pagans. It's coming from the Jews that have made up this base of Christians. Myths and, and then al also endless genealogies. Once you get into the genealogies, you can once again just go any direction you want to, uh, myth making them into myths. And endless genealogies. Watch what happens. These promote controversy rather than God's work. Now you're just into what's this mean and, and what's the symbolism and these endless arguments about nothing because there's no substance to it instead of actually producing godly character. Like I said, the ideal is that we become Christians and that are conformed into God's image and begin living. The point being, your theology determines your behavior. So good teaching should produce godly character. But if you're into myths and genealogies and just aimless endless genealogies of great teaching and ooh that's deep that's complicated you're not about becoming godly you're about who knows the most mysteries of the secret religion and it becomes well very cultish this is what's happening in ephesus these promote controversies rather than god's work which is by faith the goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith uh, <coughs> it says some have want verse six some have wandered away from these and turn to meaningless talk. And once again, that's what's taking place in the churches, meaningless teaching. They want to be teachers of the law. Now notice that. They want to be teachers. They want to be Jewish scribes in the law. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. 
They, they haven't got training, and if they do have training, it's in some kind of hidden code of the mystery religions behind the scene of what's really happening that no one's ever, whenever you hear this, no one's ever heard this before. I'm going to teach you something in the Bible that no one's ever seen before. That's a red flag, because that's, that's this right here. I'm going to teach you something. It's like, no, these are teachers. They want to teach law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And he goes on, and he's going to give you several examples of that. We could go through this on and on. And that's kind of laying the foundation of this book is, well, go to chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith, that's the apostolic doctrine, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachers come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. And this is going to come from both these directions, from paganism and Jewish legalism of, well, uh, and again, we'll, we'll develop it, especially on Monday night, of if, if this, it's dualism, the body is bad, anything physical is bad, but anything spiritual is pure and good. Now, if you want to just spend a moment right there, Paul makes that point right here. Everything God created is good. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with food. Uh, now, again, as you know, there's good diets, there's bad diets. But as far as getting close to God, uh, it, it, it's like, well, I don't eat pineapple because that gets, I, I'm closer to God because of pineapple. It's like, well, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That that's, has nothing to do with, uh, uh, and that, we have that in our own culture. If it's physical, it must be bad. But watch, as soon as it becomes spiritual, Oh, that church is so spiritual. They were just in the spirit all night long and people were having words from God and utterances. And it's like, was there any truth to it? Oh, but it was so spiritual. Okay, that's demonic. I mean, it's, Satan is spiritual. Demons are, well, right here. They'll turn away from the truth, abandon the truth and the faith, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Well, how's that going to come? Is that going to come through text of Scripture, or that's going to come through the physical? That's going to be very spiritual. And so just because, again, I, 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 I've had to think about it and fix my mind over the years, because as things become more and more spiritual, like, wow, this is something I don't even understand. It's so spiritual. No, no, no. Everything God created is good. There's no, there, it's not always good or always bad if you go with things that are always spiritual that will lead into the idea and if we can see it here that there's no way of sinning you're going to get into in in a, a revelation in in the letters to the churches the nicolaitans the antinomianism that we are so spiritual we are so pure that we really can't sin now the average person that may be a sin for them but i have arrived at this spiritual state so my physical body I can't sin. Well, John writes, anyone who says he has no sin is a liar. Meaning you can't become so pure on this side of history that you can't sin. You're always going to have an issue of sin. But the all, you can see the pendulum, but the all other is anything physical is sinful. Like what? Marriage, sexual relations, having children, uh, eating food. These things are all evil. So I'm going to be very, and so it's like, no, no. God created the physical and the spiritual. The way of the spiritual is to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ, saved by faith, learning the word, being conformed into the image of God, and spiritual is maturing in your faith and producing the fruit of the Spirit. Physical 
there's nothing wrong with the physical as long as it's kept in perspective. You know, like, like marriage and sexual relations. It's like, what's wrong with that? Well, in the right place, everything's fine. The right amount of food, whatever, you know, you understand? And so it becomes very twisted, and Paul is being sent in there to correct that. Um, we go on through that, but we're e eventually going to get to all those verses. Go to Acts chapter 18. And this now is a background for where Timothy is going to be sent in 62 A.D., and I just, it's one of those things, you know, I thought we're doing 1 Timothy. And this is, this is my problem, and I, I ask you to overlook it or forgive me or just deal with it. But instead of just going to Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, and start teaching, you know, cold turkey, I really would feel better if we understood where Timothy is at and, and what the background is. Uh, one, it's going to be safer for me to teach it and safer for you, maybe give you some even some of the stuff I share with you today, in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to think, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I've already read chapter 18 and 19 of Acts. That's not at all what's taking place here because I'll be, go off on a tangent. You'll go, historically, that doesn't even make sense. So this is kind of a, a safety net. Um, and what we'll do first is look at this map right here, uh, the first map, and we, we took a look at this last week. Here's the, again, look at the map on the page. This is my reference map. Uh, this is uh, Antioch, this is Ephesus, this is the Aegean Sea, this would be Macedonia, this would be Philippi, Thessalonica, down here, this would be called Greece, but down here is Achaia, where Centria is going to be a seaport city, Corinth is going to be the city of Corinth, a very important city, it comes in from the seaport of Centria, and Paul is going to in Antioch, this would be Jerusalem. Again, I know it's too close to Egypt. I'm sorry, see, there's Nile River right there. It's not that close. Uh, <laughs> Antioch is really his home base. This is where the Jews and the Christians come together. This is where the Galatian controversy, all these things take place. Well, Paul's going to leave on his second missionary journey that you see right here. He's going to go through the churches that he's already went through on the first missionary journey. When he comes to Lystra, he's going to pick up Timothy. Now, he probably met Timothy on the first missionary journey where Paul was stoned to death and and Paul, or Timothy's going to be reminded eventually that you remember all the sufferings I faced in Lystra. And that would have been probably when Paul was, or Timothy was 12 or 15 years old, and Paul got stoned to death and drug out of the city to be eaten by wild animals. He gets up, goes back into the city, keeps preaching. And Timothy would have remembered that <coughs> as a 12 or 15-year-old. Again, we don't know the exact date. He could have been 20. I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, on the second missionary trip, he picks Timothy up, and Timothy's going to travel Paul wants to go this way, the Spirit forbids him. He goes up this way towards Troas, and then wants to go up into Bithynia, and that's where the Spirit also, it's the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God. And he ends up in Troas, where he has the dream. That's where he meets Luke. For the first time, they meet Luke, because that's where the book of Acts changes from they did, they went, to we did, we went. And Luke now travels with Paul and just records all these events. You can see the the prepositions change right there. So uh, Luke was a doctor from Troas, and that's where Paul has the vision of a man from Philippi saying, come over and help us. He goes over here, gets stoned again, or beaten again, uh, and has this whole event come down here. Uh, he wants to go to Ephesus, and now in chapter 18, again, we could go through all these details here, but chapter 18, he's going to be going to Jerusalem. He's going to cut his hair in Centria. Again, this is, this is eye-opening for you because Paul is, Paul is a Jew. He's got a Jewish culture, a Jewish background. And so he's going he's gonna, 
He's going to celebrate, and again, you've you got to think about it, he's going to celebrate the Jewish feast. It's his culture. Uh, he's not going to enforce that on the Gentiles. You need to go to Jerusalem. You've got to worship in the temple. That, that's where a break comes between the Judaizers and, and Paul's ministry. But Paul himself, you're going to see him going to Jerusalem, taking vows, following the Jewish law, uh, but it's his culture. It, it's, it's, it's different, and you've got to make some decisions of that. Anyway, in Centria, he's going to cut his hair and take a vow because he's going to go back to Caesarea, uh, by the sea and go down to Jerusalem and then back up to Antioch where he's going to begin the third missionary journey. But right here, when he leaves Centria, he's going to stop by Ephesus. That's his first time. And there's going to be Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team that he's met in Corinth that he started making tents with. Now, Paul is working this whole time. He's not just sending out fundraising letters. He gets somewhere, and he's, going to, he's accepting offerings from these churches that support him, but he's also working. And in Corinth, he's got a full-time job, got hired, and worked on with Aquila and Priscilla. They're going to stay back in Ephesus and start some kind of a Christian ministry there. Paul's just going to barely get a look at it here in verse 8, chapter 18. While he's while he's gone, and Aquila and Priscilla are here, someone from Alexandria, Egypt, named Apollos, somehow has heard about Christianity, and he's a, again, he's a Jewish teacher. But in Alexandria, Egypt, the Greek philosophy and Judaism have come together, and a great teacher named Philo has come out of, from the time of Jesus and Paul, we don't see anything in the Bible, but we have a lot of his writings, he has done a lot of teaching and even allegorizing. This is where it gets a little sketchy. A lot of allegorizing. What is really the story behind the story? And sometimes there's a truth to it, but sometimes it's like, how far are you going to go with the story behind the story? And, uh, and some this becomes a little sketchy right here, again, in my opinion. Apollos appears to have come under this teaching from uh, Alexandria, probably knows philo and his teaching maybe maybe was trained by philo but he comes up here and, but he also has come into faith in christ now this is very interesting because we have in my mind i say we because i'm talking about my own mind and i just assume you all think just like me but in my mind it's like okay you're judy you're jewish and then you hear about christ and you become protestant it's like no, there's a, a big, I'll use the term rainbow, be careful, a big rainbow a spectrum of uh, you've accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but he, he, do you believe that he's the Son of God? Well, he's the Messiah, but to be the Son of God, okay, now do you believe there's a Spirit, a Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is God? Do you believe in the Trinity? It's like, now do you believe the Scripture? It's like, how far even when you get in the western christian it's like where are you at on the spectrum and so you're going to see it right here apollos is an old testament scholar influenced by the, the 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 philosophical teaching of alexandria but he has somehow come into contact with christ now is that and we're going to see it if i keep hurrying i gotta hurry john the baptist has gone off and preached Christ. And his message was, repent. Get ready because the Christ is coming. Well, Apollos may have accepted that. The Christ is coming, and I'm ready for the Christ. But never really understood who the Christ was. Or maybe Jesus came, didn't hear about the resurrection, the death. Maybe doesn't understand the atonement of the cross. Jesus could have lived, been crucified, and resurrected, and, and not really 
No one really understands what, the cru- what was going on. He was just dead. Now he's alive. God raised him from the dead. Well, that's amazing. Well, it's going to take guys like Paul to explain. Well, anyway, Paul, Apollos is going to come up to Ephesus, and he's going to run into Aquila and Priscilla, who fortunately have been trained by Paul. And they are Paul's apostolic representatives in Ephesus. Timothy, is, meanwhile, is traveling with Paul. Apollos is going to come, and he's going to join the church. He's going to be in one of those home churches with deacons who are, some of them are more pagan, some of them are more Jewish, some of them probably have some kind of magical arts. And Apollos is going to join them. Yes, I believe in the Christ. And Aquila and Priscilla are going to say, okay, very close. But remember, they're going to take him aside and go, okay, there's a few things we need to clarify. And they're going to teach him more accurately the way of Christ. And once he accepts that, they're going to, in a sense, embrace Apollos as an apostolic representative. And he's going to ask to go teach in Corinth. And so he's going to come over. This is all while Paul and Timothy are coming back. Then the third missionary trip is going to come across here, and Paul's going to come straight into Ephesus and spend three years there. So here we go, chapter 18. Hopefully you can hear something of what I've just read. Uh, I'm going to begin in verse 18. If you start in chapter 18, verse 1, you've got to read all about Corinth, which is fun, but we've got to keep moving because the clock is ticking. Chapter 18, verse 18, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. That's after he'd gone up to Troas, gone through Macedonia, came down here and spent a couple years in Corinth. That's when he writes First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, he stays there for quite some time. Then he left the brothers, that would indicate they're believers, and sailed for Syria. This is Antioch is Syria, right there. Sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now again, that just says he's sailing for here, but we got some details. He's going to go to Centria, stop by Ephesus, end up in Caesarea, visit Jerusalem to complete his vow, and then go to Syria. So there's a long, there's several stops before he actually arrives in Syria. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria. So in the seaport city, he has his hair cut off. And when, when that would indicate, I mean, because Luke mentions it, it's not like, oh, and Paul got his hair cut. Great little barbershop there in the corner. That, it's like he got his hair cut means he took a vow. And it's like, Either a vow, again, we don't know what the vow was, but we can't assume him being Jewish, and we can look at the Old Testament verses. He was delivered from the, the very difficult situation in Corinth where he is in, on trial, the synagogue came against him, his life was threatened, and now he's been delivered. And maybe he's, it's a vow, uh, a celebration. Or, also, he's got a window of time to get here before Passover, uh, before the season changes, and uh, the seas become rough. In fact, he was shipwrecked, what does it say, three times, and we've only got a record of one. So this could be one of the times he was shipwrecked. It, it just could be. So maybe he's taken a vow of protection because he knows he's going into dangerous territory. Nonetheless, it's a vow that once that vow is finished, he's going to burn his hair in a temple service in Jerusalem. That's, that's, that's Judaism. That, that's his religion. It's not like he's not denying Christ. He's actually, in his mind, worshiping God, who is Christ, through his Jewish religion. Now, to teach the Gentiles to do that is not necessarily the right thing. But for a Jew to continue their Jewish religion, even James, like we said before, he ended up getting pushed off the Temple Mount just on the other side here because he, he was always on the Temple Mount worshiping, praying, teaching. But nonetheless, he cuts his hair off at Centria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So they sail across the Aegean Sea, probably got his hair in a little Ziploc bag, 
Uh, he drops off Aquila and Priscilla at Ephesus. Now, Paul has never been to Ephesus, but it is a major city. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, he himself, watches went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So here is Paul's first arrival in Ephesus in a synagogue. And he's not going to stay very long. He's got to get to Jerusalem and get back to Syria. But he is in a synagogue. His first place he goes, like always, most often, is he goes to a synagogue, and there he uses the Old Testament scriptures to explain the Christ has come. John the Baptist uh, identified him. Jesus did the work. And then, just like always, some are going to believe and some are going to become very obstinate. Uh, synagogue and reasoned with, as you notice right there, reason. That, that idea right there, it's interesting. He didn't, that doesn't mean preached, although that probably would be done. It, it, and it, it would include teaching, but reasoning would be, uh, is as, as, as he's teaching, there's questions being asked. And they're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. What about this verse? And then he'd explain it back. It's, it's like a debate. He's in the synagogue debating with the Jews concerning Christ. So it, it's, it's a two-way street, and it's, it's not him just taking over. It's him debating with the Jews there in, in, in Ephesus. Um, okay, when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, quote, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for, from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Now, what that would indicate in the NIV, he lands in Caesarea. Now, this is completely opposite in my mind. He goes up to the church. What church? The church in Jerusalem. You always go, if you're a Jew, you always go up to Jerusalem. So he lands in Caesarea. See, to me, he's going up to Syria. But no, the Jew, you go up to Jerusalem, and once you leave Jerusalem, you're going to go either down to Egypt or down to Syria or down to Babylon. You're going down. So he goes to Caesarea, met the church. It's all it says he met the church, and then went up to Syria. Does that make sense? And that's the end of <coughs> his time. Verse 23, after spending some time in Antioch, that's his home church right now, Paul set off from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia. And that takes you to this second map on your notes, if you want to look at that. He's now you're going to have to start in Antioch again. Because we this, this is the second time he's going to come down to Jerusalem. He's in Antioch. He's going to go up through here, go through the churches. He went through Derby, Lystra, go through the Galatian churches. But this time he's going to go straight into Ephesus. And that's what he tried to do on the second journey, but was prevented from doing it. So this, this is going to be interesting, I, I hope, because you're going to see some of the, the, the pre-Christian culture of where Paul and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla are going to be planting Christianity. And the things, and this is 52, you can see the date on this. This is now, he's leaving 53, and he's going to go back to Jerusalem by 57 A.D. Um, in 57 AD, he's going to be in Corinth, and he's going to write the letter to the Romans. But this is 53 AD. Within nine years, there's going to be a lot of, uh, well, this is all going to develop into some confusion. So here we go. <clears throat> I'm in verse 23. Uh, he went through Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. He's already been there. There's churches. Meanwhile, I already explained this to you, but meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, 
He was a learned man. That means he's elegant, eloquent. He's, he's been educated with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. Now, that, that means a thorough knowledge of Scripture. But remember, it's from Alexandria. It's got a thorough knowledge of Scripture with an Alexandrian twist to it. It'd be like having a thorough knowledge of Scripture from a Lutheran seminary or a thorough knowledge of Scripture from a Baptist seminary. It, it's like you've got a thorough knowledge of Scripture, but... Who taught you? Was it Catholic theology? Whatever. And it, this is not from Jerusalem. It's not from Syria. It's from Alexandria. And we know a lot about their style of Christianity. Not that it's bad, but Philo did a tremendous amount of writing, so we know it's got a lot of allegory in it. Here it is. A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord somehow, somehow down here, Christianity had reached, we don't know. See, we got all this activity up here in the book of Acts, but it's also going south, it's also going east. So who, who did this? <clears throat> but it's down there. He's got a, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, meaning he was a great speaker. He was thoroughly committed to this message of Christianity. But once again, it's on that spectrum. How accurate and how thorough is it? First of all, he hasn't met Paul, and even Peter's going to write in his last letter. Some of the things Paul's writes are hard to understand. This is Peter, the apostle, reading Paul's letters, go, that's hard to understand. And some, he says, unstable people distort what Paul says to their own destruction. He says, even I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. So again, he's thoroughly trained in Scripture, but he has yet to meet Paul's apostolic doctrine. Uh, spoke uh, with fervor and taught about Jesus, notice, taught about Jesus accurately. Now, this is Luke's opinion, okay? And again, I, I think it's script, I think it's correct, but this is Luke writing. Though he knew only the baptism of John, holy smokes, you're teaching accurately about Jesus, but your information goes up to John's baptism. It's like, there's a, there's a lot that took place. There's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A whole, and it's like, but, but he's on track. But okay, yeah, you're right. Now this is interesting because this is going to come up again later. As Paul comes here, he's going to meet outside the city of Ephesus, or as he gets here, some disciples of John the Baptist. So now, not only has the apostles taken the message out that we know of, some apostles of John the Baptist have already gone out before Jesus was even up and running full speed, or even before, you know, Peter and, and John got started, there's already people preaching, in a sense, the gospel according to John the Baptist. Again, now you've got to kind of think, what does that mean? Nonetheless, it's considered accurate. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So he's in the same synagogue in Ephesus that Paul had been in and had been debating. So they've heard Paul. They've debated with Paul. They've asked him some questions. They probably argued some, disagreed with him. Some embraced it. Aquila and Priscilla have been there for some time representing Paul's apostolic doctrine. Now Apollo shows up, and right away they put him on the stage. And this is typical of synagogues, uh, is whenever someone with, of training shows up, well, hey, go ahead and speak. You know, they, like whenever Paul, who's been trained by Gamaliel in Jerusalem, shows up any kind of a synagogue anywhere in the Gentile world, they're like, Paul, from Jerusalem, Gamaliel, well, can you speak today? It's like it would be an honor to have. So Apollos, right away, because he's from Alexandria, maybe trained by Philo, it's like, 
well, hey, can you speak? So he's up, and now you got Aquila and Brazil sitting in the front row listening to Apollo wax elegantly about Jesus, and they're like, <laughs> it's like, good, good, but uh, so he's, he's waxing elegant with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. They took it like, now, here's the rest of the story. Now again, notice right there, Apollos wasn't wrong, he just needed a little more information. So that, that, that just co compounds this issue because Timothy is being told that some people need to be stopped from teaching. But it also means some people need to have more information. And it's, some of it's pagan air. Some of it's Jewish air. Some of it's going to be air coming out of Philo's school with extreme allegory. And now Apollos coming out of Alexandria, you're right, you're just incomplete. So there's, there's a lot of, you can just see the confusion. Now imagine dropping me or you in there at that time. Would you explain Jesus? Well, I can in 2024 in West Des Moines, Iowa in my living room, but... Uh, not with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and Apollo sitting here. I'm not sure what they're going to hear. It's like, I'd rather not. I'll just take some notes. But you can see that, you know, if we all took turns, like we talked about before, if we all took turns explaining the Trinity, it'd be like, yeah, we'd be flushed down as a, a heretical group because you just, you just, more you talk about it, the more confusing it becomes because we're talking about some mysteries of God that keep it simple and, and move on. But nonetheless, uh, here it is. Taught him the way of God more accurately. When Apollos, because now he's up to speed, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, and Achaia, that's Corinth. That, see, this is Macedonia. This is Achaia, and that would be called Greece, per se, but he wants to go to Corinth in Achaia. Uh, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So he gets a letter from Aquila and Priscilla, some of the other brothers there in Ephesus, and they sent him here, and Apollo now starts teaching in Corinth. Now you know how that's going to go, because you've got 1 Corinthians. Because by the time Paul gets back to Ephesus, there's now confusion in Corinth, because some say, well, no, no, I follow, I follow Peter's gospel. Some say, no, 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 I've heard Apollo's talk. I, I'm following uh, Apollos' doctrine. I'm not Lutheran, I'm Methodist. Some say, I'm neither one. I'm Baptist. I, I follow Paul. And so it's like, so you've already got, by 55 A.D., in Corinth, you've got Peter's gospel, and some people are following Peter. You've got Apollos' doctrine, I follow Apollos, and I don't agree with Peter. And then some say, well, I follow Paul. And then Paul then insults this. Yeah, and some of you, oh, I only follow Christ. It's like, so you've got the Paul's group, the Peter's group, the Apollos' group, and some of oh, no, I'm really spiritual. I don't follow any man. I just read the Bible myself and follow Christ. It's like... And so that's where the Corinthian church ends up. And Paul's now got it. Now, they combine, the, now this is ahead, they combine that problem with the fact that there's now Greek philosophers coming in that are trained in speech and are moving the people back and forth. And the people are like totally confused. And that's why you've got what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but it's really 2nd and 4th Corinthians because there's a 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and 4th letter being written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And that's another whole story. But... Apollos goes at this time and jumps into that fray right there. Okay, chapter 19, uh, while Paul was at Corinth, Paul spoke, oh, excuse me, yeah, chapter 19, am I arriving here? I'm in 18, okay, verse 18, verse 27, and when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, Corinth, 
the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there in Corinth to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So, you know, it's talking about the help. It's how the people just take and start breaking off into divisions. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving the, from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he could take the Old Testament and use it as a New Testament document and refute the Jews. Okay, so he's driving the Jews out of the, their confusion or making them make a commitment. Chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, while that's happening, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. The interior of what? The interior of Asia Minor. Not the coast here, not the border up here. Went straight through a one to the first time, and he's now heading to Ephesus where he's going to catch up with Aquila and Priscilla. If he knows anything about Apollos, it's going to have to be a letter that someone wrote back to him and explained, oh, he's never met Apollos. Um, Paul took the road interior and arrived at Ephesus. Watch this. Again, some of these things I'm going to read, I'll talk about them, but it's like, what is going on here? I have some questions. There he found some disciples, okay, that means they're believers, and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they, they, we believe in Christ, we believe in the Messiah. Okay, and his question is, did the Spirit come? Because you can believe John the Baptist's message, the baptism of repentance, and get water baptized for repentance, but did you receive the Spirit? It's like, no, we just repented. We're just waiting for the Messiah, or we believe the Messiah has come. Uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Now, again, that could be a, a two-way question. Uh, John the Baptist, part of his message was, I baptize with water, but one comes after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So they, it's hard to imagine them having an Old Testament understanding and not even knowing anything about the Holy Spirit because there's a Holy Spirit, in a sense, in the Old Testament. What they may be referring, and they, they may be saying, that, we didn't know there's an Old, we just think there's God. We didn't know there's a Holy Spirit. Or they may be saying, we, we've never even heard about a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We know there's a Holy Spirit, but not like this. So this is what it says in the NIV. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That gives the impression they've never even heard of a Holy Spirit. But it may mean they're, they're not familiar. We've been baptized in water, but we haven't even heard of this baptizing the Holy Spirit. What's that? Again, you know, I, I, I maybe add too much to that. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Indicating, well, if you weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, what were you baptized in? So it almost sounds like they're saying, we've never even heard of a Holy Spirit baptism. Well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. We were baptized into John's message. We accept John saying there's a Messiah coming, and we're, we're repented and we're waiting for the Messiah. Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. So, he, okay, you're ready. You've heard this. and said, We believe the Messiah is coming, like the Old Testament says. We believe the Messiah is coming. But you've never really received the, 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 the Messiah. You've never had faith in Christ. Well, is that the Messiah? Uh, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. 
And so what you have now is the Holy Spirit now is indwelling the believers. It's, it's the born-again experience. They've got life. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in their life, and they prophesied, spoke in tongues. You've got a, a, a sign. Now, this would be, again, now we're not going to go off on tongues and prophesying, but this would be like, well, you know, believers are baptized and speak in tongues, and there's your proof of it. Uh, one way of, of, of you say, well, have, have you been baptized? Yes. Well, did you receive the Spirit? Well, yes. Romans says uh, if you believe in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. But did you speak in tongues? Well, no. Well, look, these people weren't born again until they spoke in tongues, so you need to speak in tongues. Not, you get that train going there. I'm not going to go there. Uh, and you're like, oh, good. Uh, how do we get out of his house without speaking in tongues? It's like, well, there's the garage. Just start running. Okay. But one way of looking at that is when the Spirit came in Jerusalem, they spoke in tongues. And then remember, they, John went up and they spoke in, uh, well, Peter in Caesarea on the coast. In Samaria, they spoke in tongues. Over here, they're now in this territory. And there, it's, like a, it's like fronts where the Spirit of God is coming and manifesting. These people have received the Spirit. Corinth definitely is speaking in tongues. That's the whole book of 1 Corinthians, or a lot of it. So it may be just manifestations of hearing. So, you know, it's there. Uh, don't make too much out of it or make a lot out of it. But it is not every place that they experience salvation is there a reference to them speaking in tongues unless it's almost like a new frontier. Again, that may be a terrible thing to even insert there but i said it verse seven there were about how now watch there were about 12 men in all so this whole group that were followers of john the baptist are 12 men it, it's not three or four it's not a whole group and it's not men and women it's not a church it's 12 men which kind of when you start looking at that that starts looking like like to have a synagogue You'd have to have 10 men to have a synagogue in your community, and then you could form a synagogue. It almost looks like the, the foundation of a, a synagogue or a breakout group from a synagogue. They're going to start their own synagogue. And they're, they're maybe having some kind of a, a synagogue worship service, recognizing John the Baptist. We, again, I'm just looking at the details here. Um, I'm looking for my place here. Play, okay, uh, there are about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue. That's the, that's the end of that story. There's 12 men. Right when he gets to Ephesus, they're believers, they're disciples, but they haven't got, they're kind of like Apollos. They haven't fully understood Christ. Paul leads them to salvation. Now they're, they're believers. Uh, they're in the New Testament age. They're in the church. But now, verse 8. If nothing else, what I'm showing you, this is part of the confusion that Timothy's going to be dropped off in and, and to fix because there's going to be groups that are holding to this. There's going to be them breaking off. This is going to divide. You're going to combine that with Artemis worship and, and pagan worship. And then you've got this, verse 8. Paul finally arrives in Ephesus, entered the synagogue, and spoke boldly there for three months. That's a long time. That means he'd, for three months, every Sabbath, he'd be uh, speaking and debating and arguing and spoke boldly for about three months. Watch this arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them, the Jews in the synagogue, became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So they refused. They've, they've had enough time. Now we're going to start. Now we're going to divide. We're going to start making fun of it, mocking it, calling it heresy, and they're not going to join, and they're going to start making fun of the way or Christianity. 
So Paul left them. Okay, we're done here. We're done in the synagogue. He took the disciples, those Jews who had believed. He takes the disciples with him. This is exactly what had taken place in Corinth. There they just went next door to uh, the house of the synagogue ruler and started having church service in the synagogue ruler's house while the synagogue met next door. Here he goes from the synagogue, takes the believers, and they go to, uh, with him, uh, so Paul left them, and they took the disciples with him and had discussions daily, daily, holy smokes, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So for two years in Ephesus, he's going to be meeting in this lecture hall of Tyrannus, uh, and the Western text says, meaning you've got different texts, it says from 11 o'clock a.m. until 4 o'clock p.m. was when the meeting would take, take place. So the average time, the people would work their jobs 7 till 11, and then they'd work, you know, 5 till 8 or something like that, because now it's cool enough to get out and work. This was the hot time of the day where it's too hot to work. Paul apparently was working with Aquila and Priscilla. I mean, where's his financing coming from? He's collecting money to send back to the poor people in Jerusalem from all the Gentile churches. So it's hard to believe, and it's pretty clear to see this. Paul's working here. Then he goes to the lecture hall because Tyrannius would have had a, some kind of a, a class if he was a philosopher. And he'd be teaching in the mornings. Well, when it's his lunch break, it's open. So Paul would come in and start teaching. Everyone from the workforce would, not everyone, but Jews and Gentiles would come, bring their lunches, sit and listen to Paul teach for what? An hour, two hours? Did he teach, you know, five hours? I don't know. But he would teach, and then they'd all apparently go back to work. Now what's going to happen here, they're going to talk about, and this is where miracles began to take place, and it's going to mention handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from Paul that had touched Paul. And those handkerchiefs are... Uh, sweat, like sweat bands. You know, like you have a headband or something. To cut. The workers would have sweat bands. And Paul would maybe take his sweat band off or his apron, not a kitchen apron, his leather tool belt. So that was, that's what we're talking about. Ap uh, handkerchiefs and aprons or sweat rags and tool belts that had touched Paul, that Paul had used all morning, were taken and where they began the practice, uh, it, someone just happened to do it, but they were taken out into the community, and if people would touch his sweat rag or his leather tool belt, uh, I don't want someone taking my tool belt, but uh, they would be healed, or demons would leave, but miracles were taking place because of this. And so the, the teaching and the signs that were coming from this time period uh, was causing a commotion. It talks about all of Asia. And we look at all of Asia. Not that Paul was going into all of Asia. That's this, that's this back map well here. You've got Galatia, Phrygia, and then Asia. It's not all of what we call Asia Minor today. It'd be this part over in this side, as you can see. But it'd be the, the seven churches. It'd be Colossae, Heropolis, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Laodicea. It, it's going to go out from that. All the surrounding towns are going to hear what's taking place in Ephesus. Okay, but he does it for two years. Now, just a footnote, while this is all taking place, this is while the Corinthian situation takes place, and Paul's writing one, two, three letters over to Corinth, sending Timothy, sending Titus, trying to solve the Corinthian problem, because they're exploding over there. They've got all kinds of chaos. 
So that's going on while he's over here teaching. Uh, and one time he makes a real quick trip, goes over there, and basically shows up and just chews the church out. I mean, there's, it, he talks about one of his letters, uh, a quick visit went over there and just, you know, made him cry. He said it was a tearful visit, you know, but, and we don't know the details. We could get into that. But um, This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, again, I would, I would say uh, that right there uh, is, is extraordinary. It's like this is... This, this is not standard operation. You understand? Be, you know what I'm saying? Well, if, if that's what I mean, we should have extraordinary miracles. Well, no, it's an extraordinary miracle because it doesn't normally happen. But what is normal is the teaching, 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 growing, growing, maturing. But once in a while, God will spice it up. I mean, I, that's, it's not like, well, this is what's expected. I don't know if that's what's expected. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him, Paul, were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Verse 13. This starts, this starts getting a little more confusing, giving a little more atmosphere of what's going on in Ephesus. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. When it says went around, they were itinerant teachers. They were traveling teachers, or they were traveling extras. They'd go around, and they would market their magic. They would market their ministry. We could come and we'll drive out evil spirits. We'll perform miracles. We'll do this. And they, that was how they made a living. And Paul made a very, see, 7-Eleven works. Teaches during lunch hour works. Paul's a, he's not an itinerant miracle worker. He's trying to help the people grow. Now, the Jews, in comparison, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, again, that'd be itinerant teachers, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. And they would go around and they would have ways of speaking. They would invoke certain names, maybe names out of the Old Testament or the names of sometimes strange monsters or they would have some kind of candle ceremonies or they'd have some you know, incantation. They'd have a poem they'd recite that would... Some, again, it appears... Again, I don't, know, I don't know this world, but it appears it's more than just magic, not magic. It's more than just a sleight of hand. It's actually manipulation of demonic powers. I mean, there is a demonic world that these had become part of it and were moving demons around so people could see results. And it's more than just a card trick. You know, oh, look, and it's like, how'd that happen? It's like they're actually engaging, but not in a way that's healthy that you want to be part of. So they hear this. Paul's over here speaking about Jesus during the lunch hour. All these miracles are taking place. It's like, and he, who's he teaching? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's try it. So they, they add this to their repertoire of the names and the beasts and the monsters and the incantations and the spells they use. Uh, so they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they got a reaction. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. There's, there's their incantation. There's a quote of their incantation. Now, that's what they would say. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, that could actually be high priest, were doing this. So you've got seven sons, seven men, who were the sons of a high priest, were over here in Ephesus driving out spirits. And the reason they're, they're not advancing the Jewish uh, faith, they're not reaching out to the Gentile world, they're, they're taking advantage of the Gentile, they're making money. 
They're over here with their show on the road, their magic arts. It's like Matt having an itinerant teacher go out and travel. This guy's going, these guys are going out, and they're making money on the Gentiles because of these, again, this Jewish magic, which, again, compounds. You've got Judaism. You've got the Sadducees. You've got the Pharisees. You've got the Essenes. Uh, then you've got Fidel down in Alexandria teaching with an allegorical. You've got uh, Paul being trained by Gamaliel. And now you've got the priests, which would be Sadducees. Now their sons are in Gentile territory casting out demons using spells, making money. It's like, what, when they say they're Jewish, it's like, what, what, which group do you fit? Then all of a sudden a group breaks out called the Christians. The Messiah has shown up and they break and they, they reject all the other groups. So it's, and they're all in, trying to teach in a synagogue. Apollo just got done. And so you just see the, the confusion that is there. And now a group breaks out where Christians are going to meet in someone's house. And it's like, well, where, are you, where are you at? And they bring in their, their training philosophy, you know, they're Gentile. Anyway, sons of Sceva, the chief priests, were doing this. One day, and it was like they've been doing this for a while, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit didn't, or the, Holy, the, the evil spirit didn't come out, he just empowered the, evil, the man, the evil spirit, and jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So it wasn't just a couple swings here or there. I mean, he pummeled them so bad that their, their clothes were shredded, their beat, they went out of the house running away. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believe now came, watch, many of those who believed, that would mean Christians who were in these home churches who had heard Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos and Paul, when they heard this, they began to realize this is more than a Greek philosophy. This is more than just a Jewish religion. They came, and watch this, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number, and again, evil deeds is wide open. What does that refer to? Evil deeds. But also, specifically, a number, not all of them, but a number who had practiced sorcery as believers brought their scrolls together. That'd be parchment or papyrus scrolls of incantations and spells that would work in witchcraft and burnt them publicly. We don't want anything to do with this anymore. Just like you're publicly baptized in the name of Jesus, we want to publicly burn this stuff and we don't want anything to do with this. We want to separate from this completely because it's not just fun and games. It's not just magic. It's like, oh, this is bigger than I ever imagined. This is scary. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, a total came to 50,000 drachmas. Uh, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and, and in, grew in great power. Uh, 25,000 drachmas, I've got a little note here. Uh, that's about $2.5 million. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. They can see on your map he was there. I've got my maps gone. Go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. So he goes, that's when he goes up to Macedonia, and in Macedonia writes 2 Corinthians, goes down to Corinthians, meets him and says, okay, we've got this organized, leaves there, <clears throat> has a large amount of money, and a bunch of men travel with him, and he goes to Jerusalem and meets with James in the church leadership and gives them this huge amount of money that's been collected from all the Gentile churches because of the starving and persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> after, after having been there, uh, he said, I must visit Rome also. 
he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erasmus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Okay, oh, I didn't get through the riots. Okay, anyway, we got to quit. Uh, we'll clean this up next week. I, again, I'm laying a foundation of the, c- the community that Paul's going to drop Timothy off. And I can tell you this, I would not want Paul to write me a letter and say, well, I left you in Ephesus to fix this. Here's a letter. Good luck. I'd be like, can I just come with you, Paul? Or can I just go get a job and teach shop somewhere in a little public school and not have to deal with this? But anyway, that kind of sets the stage for that whole situation. I'll pray, and we're done. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would find direction, we'd find inspiration, that we would find hope in the things that are recorded here, that you are working in the church in the ancient days, but also, Father, you're working in our own time, in our own lives, in our own midst, in our own nation. We ask that we'd, just like Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy and Paul took, play, took part in the work that you were doing, we ask that we might be, have a part in the work that you're doing in our own communities, our own churches, and our own uh, nation. In Jesus' name, we ask that we, again, would be empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time.